0: The PaceLine Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash PaceLine to support the show and learn more. And the PaceLine is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. On the PaceLine, a lesson on dealing with an oh-shit moment. When
1: you feel an endo coming, you can either try to ride it out and, you know, hopefully successfully stay on your bike, or you can step out. And I
0: stepped out this time. And how to fix disc brakes using your ears. You know, the first thing I ask myself is, okay, is this a constant shh, sh- you know, with each revolution, uh, or is it a, a case where I'm getting a shh,
1: sh- Ting, ting, sh- ting, ting, ting. Yeah. yeah. baseline the podcast on two wheels patrick and fatty today hottie is off taking care of some family stuff we're a show 97 folks and of course you can find us on red kite prayer on apple podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts and in fact the fact that you are listening to us right now means that you already are using one of those methods and so patrick why do i say this every time
0: um force of habit
1: <laughs> I'm going to delete this from my from my show notes script. I tell you what. <laughs> Before we begin and fair warning everyone, this is going to be a fatty centric episode. I do have a couple of notes and that the first one is the pace line race weight challenge. I talked about this a little bit in the last episode where a bunch of us, probably most of us, are wanting to get to a particular weight, maybe 5, maybe 10, maybe 20 pounds that we want to lose so that we are going to do great in our events or races or just so that we can fit in the kit that we got for Christmas. I got that problem personally. I don't know about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Patrick, are you, are you fitting in all your kits right now?
0: Um, I can get them on.
1: You can get them on? <laughs> do they look flattering?
0: Um, some of them less so than others. Uh,
1: all of mine look less flattering than each other. I know that's not mathematically possible, but it's true. (laughs) Anyway, I, I gotta, I gotta get back down to race weight. I have some important races that I want to do. I want to do well at them and I do best when I work with and cooperate with and have a little bit of a carrot, a little bit of a stick but I have been vacationing like most people in the world, and so I have not finished writing those rules yet. Next episode, once Hottie is back, we will have the full rules. We'll post them along uh, in the blog along with the, uh, along with the show. What you got to do ahead of time, folks, if you want to be part of the PaceLine Race Weight Challenge, weigh yourself right now. Make a note of it. Start working on taking some of that weight off and put about $250 together in Scratch. You won't need that. uh, You won't uh, have to give that to me or rather I will give it back at the end of the challenge. If you continue in the challenge, you don't even have to hit your weight. You just can't bail. It is the anti-bail money. It's your earnest money.
0: Anti-bail money. So a bail bondsman won't help.
1: A bail bondsman won't help in this circumstance. I am not okay. anti-bail bondsman. Uh, I, I'm derailing here. <laughs> the fact, the point is: weigh yourself, put together two hundred fifty bucks, so that you're going to keep yourself honest and keep yourself involved for this whole thing, and expect details next week. Let's move on to the very important question. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I got myself a good, very important question for this week. Here it goes. You are on your bike. Picture this. You got your eyes closed? You're picturing this, guys? I am. Okay. (laughs) I'm talking to guys as, as our listeners as well, not just you. So you pass another rider because you're awesome. A minute goes by. You look over your shoulder because you want to see what's going on. What happens? Here are the options. Tell me which one you think is going to be the most common, Patrick. They're miles behind you. They repass you. You drift right and crash. Or you pass. Or you pass yet another rider. Or, or I, that's actually a question mark. I pass another rider, as in. How could that even happen? What? I don't pass writers. Sorry. You'd think as the person who wrote this uh, this poll, I would understand what all the options are. But, uh, oh, well. Sorry, guys. Um, Which do you think is going to be the most common response, Patrick?
0: Well, given your audience, it's definitely going to be option C, where they run off the path and crash. If this were at another site, I can think of several other sites, the... The first answer, uh, they're miles behind me, isn't sufficiently macho enough uh, to reflect their readership.
1: <laughs> well, you retweeted this, of course, so this these responses are commingled with the responses of your readership.
0: Oh yeah, no, I huh. wasn't thinking of, of my site. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we we've all accepted our our humble place in the universe. I think we
1: know who we are. of the 265 votes that have come in today say, I would drift right and crash. And that actually gets to the uh, the first uh, story that I want to tell. Uh, And like I mentioned before, this episode is going to be a very fatty-centric episode. I spent uh, the last three days uh, before it was time to come back to work in St. George, Utah, where I was able to do uh, some road biking, got in a lot of riding, some mountain biking, got in some great riding uh, on on the desert dirt. And I have stories to tell for each of the three days that I was going to be – that I was there. And one of them involves a crash. And I'm going to tell that story right now. Okay. So I was – on. I think I might have given it away now. I, I've given away the punchline. <laughs> Can you believe that? It, <laughs> So here's here's uh, here's how to picture it, okay? There is a ride that my wife and I love to do every time we go to St. George. And you first start by going up Snow Canyon, which is just a beautiful uh, national park road. It has been recently resurfaced, so it is just perfectly smooth tarmac. Uh, just n- nothing better. It's wonderful to go up, wonderful to go down, hard climb, beautiful scenery. We then continue on uh, to uh, Veo, which is famous for its pies. Sometimes stop for pie, sometimes we don't. And then Utah Hill, a seven mile uh, seven mile climb with about fifteen hundred feet of climbing, back down to Santa Clara, and that sounds like it's in California, but it's not. And on home, it's about a sixty seven mile ride, forty five hundred feet of climbing. Hmm,
0: it's a bad. wonderful.
1: It is a it's a wonderful day on the bike, and this time of the year, it's about as much as I want to do. It is you know it's four and a half five hours long, and we are not fast. And so, give me
0: some idea. You start at what sort of elevation, and what's the highest elevation you reach?
1: Uh, fantastic question. Uh, St. George is around three thousand feet, I think. Okay, so and, not insane. No, no. Um, St. George is quite a bit lower than where I live. You know, I live at about 5,000 feet. So it, this is actually a little bit lower than what I'm used to. And the highest point, um, I am not, I'm not 100% sure, but I would guess it's probably 4,500 feet. It, the, uh, the top of Utah Hill, I would guess is probably 4,500
0: feet. Okay. So okay. Not, not a huge amount of, of climbing in any one chunk.
1: No, no. The seven mile climb up to Utah uh, to the summit of Utah Hill is definitely the biggest uh, the biggest climb, uh, although not the steepest. There's a couple of uh, sharp, you know, punchy climbs that uh, that you got to do elsewhere, but nothing that uh, really drags on. And that's kind of why I like it. You know, the climbs uh, they wake you up, they keep you focused, but they don't. Brutalize you, which is nice, especially this time of year, right? December yeah. 29th, right? You kind of want it to be reasonable. So we are doing this we're doing this ride, and uh, we do the snow canyon ride, have a beautiful time enjoying it. We drop uh, we drop down to Veo. Over toward Gunlock, which is the the route that uh, most triathlons in the area uh, use for you know for the half Ironman and so forth, because it's you know it's, it's a pleasant pleasant road that doesn't necessarily get in the way of traffic going to Vegas or elsewhere, right? And as we're riding, we go by a guy who is stopped on his bike. And he's just, you know, he's standing over his top tube, asking if he needs anything. He's, no, I'm fine. And he's very clearly someone who is a, you kind of get the sense, a serious rider, right? Decked out, uh, head to toe in Rafa, you know, and it's a matching, you know, matching kit. Uh, I can tell he's wearing uh, a Rafa cap. He's... You know, expensive helmet, uh, nice-looking bike. I, you know, you can, you can tell pretty quickly w- which people have made riding, you know, what they do. And Yeah, this is, it's a priority. This, really, this is one of those guys, right? And we're, we're those people too. Yep. Although I don't look at right now because I'm 20 pounds overweight. <laughs> so um, it, w- my wife and I continue, and we're actually having a conversation about uh, – Cliff shot blocks, and I was trying to remember uh, the kind of cliff shot block that I can never eat again. And I was saying, I think it's the mojito shot blocks. And Lisa was like, "There's not even such a thing as mojito shot blocks." And I'm like, "Neither," but that's close. And so we are we are talking, riding riding side by side because the the road's deserted, and there's a big shoulder, and having a conversation. And she's like. I think it's it's not it's not mojito. I think that it is pina colada. I'm like, there's not. There, I know for sure it's not pina colada. And we but we both know it's a drink. We both know that it's kind of a tropical thing, and neither of us can remember what it is. And you Lisa's, forgot
0: what a margarita is.
1: We forgot <laughs> we forgot the word margarita. Okay. And Lisa Lisa remembers first. And this is after we have made the bet. And the bet is whoever. Whichever of us is right, and neither one of us is at the moment, but whichever of us is right gets to pick where we eat dinner that night. She remembers, yells, it's margarita. And, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, you get to pick. Uh, Red Robin was uh, the choice, by the way. Um,
0: (laughs) She couldn't come up with anything better than Red Robin?
1: St. George isn't a destination for restaurants and oh. uh, it's a place where you can get a, a good burger and Red Robin has good burgers was a great choice as far as I was concerned. We're not fancy people. Um it's that's that was yeah, that, that was a win-win choice as far as I was concerned. Anyway, about <laughs> okay. the moment she says that, suddenly this guy who we had passed a little while ago, you know, so you know 2 minutes worth of conversation worth. Mm-hmm. He rockets around to our left, um, not not saying "Hey, how are you?" or "How's it going?" or anything. Just boom, he's gone. It's a clear attack, a one hundred percent attack. And I, I'm like, "Huh? Well, that's interesting." And like, because you know, I'm 52, my wife is 50, and it's (laughs) I'm 20 pounds overweight. This guy's in, you know, he he looks like he is a serious rider. I'm like, I'm thinking. Am I really someone that you're going to take any pride in attacking at all right now? Don't worry about it too much. But he only gets about, I would say, 75 yards ahead before he stops distancing us, right? And I start noticing that while I have not consciously intended to go faster, I don't know, maybe I have. Maybe there is a reaction. That we are starting to reel him in a little bit. And And I say to my wife, I'm like, I think we're gonna catch him. And about the moment that I say that, he looks over his shoulder back at us and drifts right off the off the shoulder into the Saint George Desert, which is sand and boulders. That is what it is. He goes probably ten feet, you can tell that he is struggling mightily to stay upright, and then he hits one of those boulders that I'm talking about. Oh, God. And Endo's at, I would guess, probably still going about 15 miles an hour, right? Uh-huh. Flips over, lands on his face. He's bleeding from the face. He's tangled up with his bike. And, you know, we, and we're we only – we're not that far behind him. We pull over to the side, and I, I'm not even – there's – you're, you're aware of what you're thinking and what your reactions are, and there's a little part of me that's like, this is kind of funny because this guy clearly crashed because he was checking how he was doing against a couple of 50-year-olds on the open road. But there was another part of me that says, I have come really close to doing this exact same thing. I don't think I've ever actually ended on a road bike, but I have, I, I have drifted when looking over my shoulder before. And this guy had really done a number on himself. His face was bloody. He had actually broken in half one of his pedals. Oh, um, good grief! Yeah, yeah, um, and was very sore, disoriented. He, you know, he tries to stand up. We have him sit back down, and um, I'm. You know, after a little while, he's okay. It doesn't seem like he's necessarily – I don't think he has a concussion. He's cut up, but he's not – I don't think anything more serious than that. Um, He has a flat. I volunteered to fix that for him. He's like, no, I'm done. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to call an Uber. And I'm like, well, good luck with your phone Um, because out there, phone signal's not great. Um, He does, however, manage to call a taxi no Uber, no, no chance of getting Uber out there. Um, I, I I wonder if there actually are any Ubers that service Gunlock, Utah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's, I mean, so th- there was a part of me that's like, you know, this is kind of funny, but there is another part of me that's like, no, I totally identify with this. And he actually was incredibly candid. Uh, you know, while we're talking, because we, you know, we stayed with him for a little while, and he was like, yeah, I looked over my shoulder. I was checking to see if I, if I had successfully uh, dropped you two, and, yeah, I, I drifted off. And I'm like, you know, I understand that. It's, it's kind of fun to attack. It's, it's kind of fun to see if you can gap someone, and sometimes things don't go right. And that brings me to the question that I have for you, Patrick. Oh, boy. No, no, this is, this is this is a question for the guy who wrote the No Drop Zone because you actually have a lot of knowledge. I'm a guy who's ridden my bike for 20 years, but I notice that when I look over my shoulder mm-hmm. that I tend to drift off the road. And this is, you know, or, or when I'm mountain biking to drift off the trail that I start veering in one direction or another. I found one way that helps me more or less keep that to a minimum, but i'm still i I, I never stay perfectly true when I look over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. What do you do to keep yourself from doing what this guy did, which is you know he i think he left looked over his left shoulder, drifted right, and crashed immediately that you know he veered that sharply, even though it was a right bending uh right bending turn that he was on or a right bending road he You know, he he turfed it pretty quick. What do you do? How do you keep from how do you keep from veering opposite of the direction that you are looking over your shoulder?
0: Okay, well, before I get to the answer, I gotta mention to look left and veer right is highly unusual. So Well, I might have
1: it wrong. Maybe he maybe he looked right and veered right. I I, I don't remember which way he looked over his shoulder. I'm just
0: Okay. Uh, that's what typically happens. So okay. this is a matter of neuroscience. It's how your brain is wired. And we are wired to be pretty much point and shoot. So whichever way your head is pointed is where your body is meant to follow. This is wired into our brains. And so one, there's one technique and then there's one uh, strategy, I guess is how I'll put it. The strategy is simply practice. You go out and you do it. You do it when no one's around and when the stakes are super low, say when the side of the road isn't sandy and filled with boulders. Um, (laughs) So now, you know, simply doing it more often gives you a feel for what it's like to ride straight while your head is turned. That's what you're trying to establish. The technique that you can use that helps that is that as you turn your head You keep an eye on the edge of the road just a little bit. And just all you have to do is make sure that that's not moving in your field of vision. You know, if it, if the, say the, you're using the white line at the edge of the road, you know, if that starts to move to the right, you know, you're moving into the road. If it starts to move left, you know that you're in trouble. And so those are kind of the two things that I think are, are really helpful, uh, you know, people come up with all sorts of other things like look under your arm so that your head moves as little as possible. Well, for a lot of people, mm. you know, that's, that's not, that's
1: not good for looking very far back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to see very far. Um, but also, you know, a lot of people tend to get a little disoriented once their head is upside down. So that's yeah. a whole separate thing to work on.
1: Yeah. I, there is um, one additional technique that I use and I read it in one, one of the magazines that I subscribe to. This was a long time ago, and I was surprised that for me, at least, it really works well. And that is when I need to look back, I actually um, – and I always use my left arm. I swivel my left arm back and point back in – You know, so it's directly behind me. Mm. As I am looking back. So I, you know, actually stretch my arm back and that makes it so that you're more or less perpendicular to your direction, right? Mm -hmm. Your your torso is perpendicular to your direction. When I look back then, I tend to stay true. I don't even know why mm-hmm. but I read that, tried it, it worked for me. It's worth doing you know it's worth giving a shot you know point back at what you're at what you're looking at you know the the direction behind you mm-hmm. and you find that you're like, oh okay, and he, 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 I tend to stay true so worth worth trying and the uh so that that was the first uh the first of the misadventures of the day um <laughs> Well, no. The the only other misadventure was, and I, I wouldn't even call this a misadventure, but I do think this is something worth doing for people who ride road now. Uh-huh. Um, about ten miles from when we got home, there was another rider on the side of the road, uh, working on her wheel. On I think it was her rear wheel. Doesn't matter, and. We, you know, I did the you know, the common courtesy, you okay? Uh, As I go by. And she says, I need a tube. And so I brake, stop. uh, We get on the sidewalk and she goes, she looks at my bike and goes, Oh, okay, good. You you have Zip 404s, you know, deep rim. You're going to have long enough stem for what I need. <laughs> and, and and she was correct, right? I oh, my spare okay. my spare tube uh, d- does in fact have you know a lo- long stem and you know eighty millimeter stem, and so she was just fine for what she needed. I would suggest that if you are someone who rides with a bike that has a long stem, in addition to carrying a tube and your CO two and all of those things that you carry to fix. That you should also carry a stem extender Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and something that you can pull off, you know, and and a core remover. uh, Just because neither of those things take up much space, and if you are ever in a position where you need to borrow a tube or loan a tube or help someone who doesn't have. Um, who who needs to be able to put a tube in a long or in a, a deep rim that you can do that? Um, it doesn't it doesn't cost a lot, it doesn't weigh a lot, and more and more often it could come in handy. For sure. So, uh, in this case, everything was fine for her. However, this would come back to bite Lisa and me in the butt later in the trip. So I, <laughs> I tell you what. Let's continue on with uh, more of my Saint George adventures right after this break.
0: I'm pretty sure I have a flat. Can I borrow a tube? <laughs> Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, and nicotine use, the amount of riding you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further it turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote.
1: Patrick and Fatty back with the paceline, and we are on to day two of, of my very self indulgent, but I think kind of informative uh, three day weekend of uh, mountain biking, road biking, adventures, and misadventures. So, after our longish road ride, and on uh, on day one, Patrick, mm-hmm. we decide uh, – well, we don't decide. We, we had long planned that day two was going to be more or less a pre-ride of uh, the True Grit Epic, which is uh, a favorite mountain bike race of ours, early season uh, race that uh, basically takes uh, – that follows along most of the really – good uh, single track, desert single track, rocky sandstone single track in uh, the St. George area. And the first thing that we do is ride the Zen Trail, which is a pretty technical trail with a lot of nice features. It's well-known, well-loved trail. It is also a little bit of a bane for me. I have had, uh, I don't even know how many crashes, how many flats, how many uh, scraped frames or banged up derailers from, uh, from this, from this trail. Wow. And it, it's in my head a little bit, right? Once you start having enough bad luck on a trail, you start thinking of oh, the trail yeah. as being bad luck. You yeah. know how that is, it, right? it gets
0: under your skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Into your head. I'm curious now the train, um, how hilly is it there? Um, is this sandy and bouldery like the previous day?
1: Uh, the terrain. So this is this is single track, and it is um, it is dirt. Uh, I, uh, that's, I, I so uh, baked earth, sandstone, and rock. Right. So you are mostly riding on rock. Okay. And it's it we in many places pretty edgy, sharp rock. Um, that said, incredibly beautiful. And uh, the trail has been magnificently constructed so that if you uh, take the time to learn it, it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, Zen is a famous trail for all the right reasons. And the fact that I'm not great at it says that I have a lot to learn, not that there's anything at all wrong with Zen. Okay? Okay. So um, that said, like I've mentioned, it's one of those – it's one of those trails where i've had enough trouble with it enough times that it's a little bit in my head under my skin and in one of those uh in in one of those moves i i will call it where you are you get behind your saddle uh because it is dropping very steeply down and doesn't have a real run out that is it comes to a bottom and then it's you know and then it's flat or even possibly a little bit up so that if you are not careful and if you are not skillful it is really easy to do an endo when you when your front wheel hits the bottom right mm. and that and that is you know and, and I've done that a number of times to the point that I have um perhaps gotten Too nervous about it, and I tend to hit it, go at it too slow, and therefore, ironically, I guess, tend to make it worse. But I was doing really well on Zen this particular day for a weird reason, and that is about a mile into the ride, I lost my front brake altogether. Um, (laughs) a bubble in you know a, a bubble in the brake line, and I what and I literally had no front brake. You know if I, I could grab an entire handful of front brake all the way to the hand, you know all the way into the grip, uh-huh. and it made little if any difference. Right, it, just truly nothing at all. And uh-huh. that I, I want to get to the question. You know, as a person who is terrible technically, what would have been a a good field repair idea for that. So that maybe for the rest of the ride, I could have had some kind of break.
0: Oh, but I, mm, go ahead. I, you have I an don't, answer, I'm hoping, I mean, without a bleed kit, it's like, I'm not even going to try. I mean, who, yeah. who rides and with no a, bleed a bleed kit?
1: No one has a bleed kit. Yeah. And, and, and so, like that.
0: I mean, uh, unless it was a uh, relatively easy terrain, I would have just turned around and headed back. The thought of, yeah. of doing a ride, I, I mean, most of my braking is front brake.
1: Yeah, me too. me too. I use I use a lot more front than than rear, but I was finding that by not having front brake that I couldn't grab a handful of front brake. and therefore it was 10 I was rolling out of things that I normally might get a little squeamish at. And I was having a pretty good day until I finally got to one of these where I did start to go over the front of my bike. And I got lucky and stepped out. Uh, you've probably done this before. Probably most riders have. When you feel an endo coming, you can either try to ride it out and you know hopefully successfully stay on your bike or you can step out. And I stepped out this time. Okay. Um, Maybe a little bit chicken. And one thing that I am okay at is is this endo step out where I, you know, step out, in fact, over the front of the bike. So, you know, I stayed on my feet and was in no way hurt at all. However, um, my front front wheel twisted around and the – um the brake uh or I'm sorry the um plunger for the uh suspension f- uh for the for the fork mm-hmm. it scraped across the top tube and severed the suspension uh hose so suddenly i no longer have a lockout and am always now locked out so I'm I, I've magically gone to a rigid fork on Zen, which I'm not super excited about, and this has kind of messed up my mojo. Um, wow. Yeah, but you know we continue going, and we're going down Bear Claw Poppy, which is my very favorite. It's my single favorite uh, mountain bike trail in St. George, and. You know, it's a little bumpier, but I'm I'm okay. I mean, for years I rode rigid anyway, and so I, I was okay with this. But I get a I get a flat in the front, and at that point I am mojoless. I have just no longer enjoying this. I've had too many things happen that day. Um, oh, and also my shifting was you know I, I was misshifting and so forth. Mm. I. I, I, I am curious and I, I don't know if there's really a question on this one except, you know, a, apart from the, well, you know, what do you do when – how do you field repair a brake line bubble? And it sounds like you don't have a great answer on that one either. Oh, no. Except <laughs> what do you – it's uh, – I, I I don't like that idea or the, the reality of, you know, sometimes things just – it, it's like, you know, a flat shouldn't have been a breaking point for me. But I was just – like at that point, sick of it. I was like, you know what? This day, the universe is telling me to get off my bike and I cut the ride short.
0: There does seem to be a finite number of things that can go wrong after which, yeah, everybody, it just kind of sucks it out. uh, I'm here for fun.
1: I'm no longer having fun. And, And it's just, and it's like, you know, this, this bike is just not going to be my buddy today. So and anyway, so that was day two, kind of a kind of a bummer of a day, and it messed up day three because we were planning to mountain bike day three, and we each only had one mountain bike. Well, so yeah, I I mean we my, my vehicle you know supports four bikes on the racks, no more than that. So we go, but we figure okay, day three is going to be road, and we we do the reverse of the day one route, and almost immediately. My wife's bike starts having flat after flat after flat. Now, because there are two of us and we're each set up, we thought, well, we thought, and you can see where this is coming from, <laughs> for two flats a piece that we should be okay, right? Mm-hmm. But really, I was only set up for one flat. And while we had done our best to try to find tubes, that was on New Year's Eve. And after after we had you know had the first flat, and of course there are no bike stores that are open, and the dick Sporting Goods, you know, the fact that they had any road tubes at all was kind of a miracle, and they certainly had no eighty millimeter to, uh, stem tubes, right? <laughs> yep, yep. So and I but I thought, oh, that's okay, and I went ahead and bought a couple anyway because like a like a good cyclist, I have a couple of. Stem extenders, but you, can you guess why that didn't help?
0: Uh, because the stems were so short. Uh, the valve valves were so short in the first place that the stem extenders still weren't long enough.
1: Yeah, you're close. The 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 tubes, and and maybe you didn't think of this because you were not used to seeing super cheap tubes. But these super cheap tubes, the the cores could not be extracted. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, not being able to take out the cores, I couldn't put on the extenders. And, you know, so these tubes were useless, had to leave them back at home.
0: So I have on occasion just taken the extenders and put them over. Just screw it on top of that. It's not dynamite, but yeah. uh, it's it's a way to deal with it.
1: Hmm. I have never tried doing that. Okay. So that's something, that's something uh, worth knowing for another time. But- there were t- there were two things that were going on with my wife's bike. My bike was perfect the whole day. She had flats front and rear and I in spite of going uh, you know around the tire over and over and over looking for whatever it was. In we went through all of our tubes and eventually had to go back to tubes that were leaking less slowly. Oh god. To and you know and finally nursing at home we finished the ride. But in addition to that, and, and the, there is uh, why do why do tires tend to go flat in in groups of three is is part of my question. The other is the on her brakes. You know, we have we have disc brakes, and after my first change, her brake was dragging. Her rotor was dragging on the pad, and I couldn't fix it. And you know, I, I tried a couple of things. I had a credit card. You know, I'm pressing against the pads to uh, basically push the piston out a little bit and get give me a little bit extra space. Didn't really seem to work. I didn't understand why. And maybe even if it was a coincidence that we were getting a f- uh, that we were getting this kind of problem. That you know, after a, a single change, that suddenly the rotor was dragging on the pad. Any ideas?
0: I. I can only come up with the idea that it must, the wheel must have been slightly cocked in the dropouts, but with through axles, this was a through yeah. axle bike, right? Yep. Yeah. So with through axles, that should, in theory, eliminate any possible possibility for misalignment.
1: That's what I thought. The, the only thing I could think of is if uh, if one of us had grabbed the brake lever while the wheel was off. But, but if I don't you did think the that credit happened.
0: card uh, trick, yeah. that would have taken care of it or should have. It should
1: have. But I I, I mean, and my wife is a trooper and lived with this, you know, this grating sound for four and a half hours. Oh my this gosh. Happened, this happened like, you know, seriously half an hour into the ride. And, you know, it's a 67 or ish mile ride. And so on all of the climbs, on all the descents, everything, she's got that <laughs> sound and, you know, just kind of miserable for her. Mm. Or maybe it, it might have been worse for me. I think I'm bothered more by sounds like that than she is.
0: Well, and there's a good chance that if you're following her <laughs> or next to her, you actually hear it better than she does.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's entirely possible. So that aside, what what is your recommendation for keeping you know basically keeping your rotors from dragging on pads and when doing a field repair
0: so the first biggest step is to make sure that the brake itself is as is aligned as perfectly as possible
1: mm-hmm. the
0: the more care you put into making sure that the brake is properly aligned to the rotor the greater your margin of error so should, should something else uh you know shift ever so slightly and so you know that's my start point but if i get out on a ride and i start hearing uh a rotor rub you know the first thing i ask myself is okay is this a constant shh sh- sh- you know with each revolution uh or is it a, a case where i'm getting a shh, sh- ting ting, sh- ting 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 yeah, yeah. uh because if that's what i'm getting as i was just yesterday uh i don't have any problem getting off the bike putting my palm On the rotor and just giving it a little push or a little pull Mm -hmm. uh, to try to chew it better.
1: Yeah. And I did that. And I I am not sure. I tell you what. I will follow up um, when I get this thing back from the bike shop and and, and get a report on what – was wrong with this because up until this point this is you know we've we've been riding for a season now with uh with the road disc and it's been nothing but a pure pleasure until this particular ride and i didn't i don't know that many tricks for fixing that kind of thing and and that is one thing that perhaps is uh i i guess for if you're looking for negatives with any kind of disc but road disc perhaps more than than mountain is that the tolerances are not that you know are are so slim with an old road bike brakes if you were if things were a little bit out of true then of course you just open up the brake a little bit and you know and and that at least temporarily takes care of the problem it's the the easy dumb I don't know anything, but I know this kind of fixes. They kind of disappear as the as the as the bikes become more and more sophisticated, and the tolerances become much much slimmer. Sure,
0: right? sure, yeah. There's no barrel adjuster on Di2.
1: Yep. That said, um, I wouldn't change it.
0: And oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not
1: going back. I'll keep the so, bikes that I have, but yeah. <laughs> so here's here's kind of the the wrap up on this. It sounds kind of like. I, this has been me complaining for about 40 minutes. Now, I just right? hear lots
0: and lots of misadventure.
1: Well, I mean, there was a misadventure. But the fact is, even with all of that, I want to say it is so nice to get out in December for a weekend of riding. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I'm out of shape. Yeah, I'm out overweight. Yeah, we had problems with the bikes. But oh man, it was just nice to end the year with a few days of riding. I had a great time. Excellent. Um so um I I, I I I wanted to put that on as the cap that this wasn't just a miserable weekend. It's I had more problems with the bike than usual, but we do kind of expect at least a few little problems. And mm-hmm. in in a mountain biking area where it is very technical and rocky and a crash generally means you're going to bang your bike it's going to happen right and you mm-hmm. kind of expect it and I'd rather have problems on the bike than not have a bike so there you go
0: very tell good. me <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so what's going on over at RKP
0: well we've just posted uh, our annual year end awards and uh, whereas you know we let uh, Velo News and other such publications take care of you know who the greatest Grand Tour rider is, who the greatest North American racer is, all those kind of standard award show type awards. Uh, we we go a little different, a little little more obscure. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about things like gravity and and suspension, and not even the the best suspension design, but yeah, more more unusual angles on that stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, so uh, our awards are up. uh, Part two are mine. Part one are robots. And uh, I've I've always enjoyed doing these.
1: Absolutely. Check them out. And let's head on to the Pace Line Picks. Uh, I have been talking and talking, so I hope you have a good Pace Line Pick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Should I go? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so back at uh, Interbike... Uh, back in September, uh, Shimano showed off a whole bunch of new apparel, Um, a bunch of pieces meant for more gravel oriented riding, um, more subdued colors, you know, less, less rolling billboard look and um, even kind of some, some not quite baggy shorts, but kind of an over short to go with their, uh, their apparel. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: in addition to that, they introduced some new shoes and uh, they're called the XC5, and they are a lace-up shoe uh, in, you know, in the spirit of what uh, Specialized has followed Giro doing. And uh, it, they do have a little uh, lace retainer that you pull out and slip the laces under so you don't end up with a shoelace in your chainring. Um, and like uh, some other Shimano shoes, these are, are finished in Michelin rubber on the bottom, oh nice and uh let's see oh the uh uh the front the toe and the heel of the shoe also uh are are finished in the that uh glass bead reflective technology so very bright pops uh to direct light uh on those areas of the shoe it's um it's a lugged sole uh not as aggressive as a mountain bike shoe Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, it's an SPD shoe, quite naturally. Um, But the thing that really caught my attention when they were telling us about this, it's like, okay, it's another shoe from Shimano. It's going to be a good shoe relative to its price point. And then they said, well, we know that gravel events can be longer and, you know, your feet can swell. You've got to get up and walk around some, Uh, you know, sometimes you get in the water and, you know, you're, you know, you're. Socks will, will, you know, suck up the water and that can make the shoe tight. And then they proceed to say, well, we decided to combat that by giving this a bigger toe box. And I was like, what? And because for me, you know, I've got an exceptionally wide foot. Standard production shoes almost never, ever fit me without some work. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I tend to wear Shimano's E-Width shoes uh, just because that's something that they are happy to send me to review. Um, But this is a standard width shoe that was given a really generous toe box so that you can wear a thicker sock or, you know, it can get wet and, you know, your foot can swell up through the day and you won't end up completely constricted with the circulation cut off to your toes. Um, It's a really dynamite shoe. I am just so impressed. And it's the sort of thing that for RKP readers, uh, a number of them have spoken up o- over the years saying that, yeah, they have either a wide foot or a high end step or a high arch, you know, large volume, all those things that can contribute to the need for a wider shoe. Mm-hmm. I-, I hear this from an awful lot of people. And this is a shoe that just the straight production version it is absolutely the widest, you know, quote-unquote standard width shoe I've ever put on in my life.
1: I, I mean, it, it's amazing that the contact point that is most likely to cause pain, in, in, in the shoe, that is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is so hard to find a good accommodation for. I, I have a rough time all the time and uh, for have for years. We ought to do a PaceLine shoe special sometime. I'd be good with that. Make a note. We'll have our producer make a note. Okay. okay. Oh, we don't have one. Oh, no. Okay. I'll get All right. my scratch
0: pad. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so my PaceLine pick is races that have a liberal exchange or return policy. I am – the reason I'm thinking about that is in a couple hours from when we're recording, I'll be registering for the Crusher and the Tusher, which has a fantastic return policy. That is – or a a fantastic exchange policy that if you uh, register for the race, fully expecting that this July you're going to be racing it. But then something comes up. Life happens. Someone can buy your race entry. The point-to-point, the Park City point-to-point. Same policy. Breck Epic, same policy. Um, It doesn't seem like that should be so hard to do, but not every race does it. Don't understand, but I want to offer a little love to the races that do. If you got a great way for people to sign up and hopefully do your race, but then if they can't to be able to sell their entry to someone else, you're a good race. Thank you. That is my pick. Very cool. I mean, are you, I I don't want to name names, but are there races you have done recently that don't have this kind of policy where if you enter the race and then you can't do it, you can't do a, you can't do a a sell to someone
0: else? All the events that I do, uh, or at least all the events that I did this year uh, were either bike monkey or grasshopper events. Mm -hmm. And there are procedures you know there are opportunities for people to do something about um a race that they can't attend so there's a there's a transfer process with the grasshoppers and there's uh something in place for bike monkey um yep and so yeah i you know it's nice to deal with events like that i have certainly just flat out lost entry fees to events because i couldn't show up
1: so have i and and it hurts and it reduces your loyalty to that event yeah um You know, through not necessarily any fault of your own. Of course, we want the events to do well. We want them to get their money. But we also want there to be an acknowledgement or a path if you have to get out for you to get someone else in instead. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap uh, this episode of The Pace Line. If you haven't been to iTunes to rate and review us, please do. And if you have, thanks. We definitely owe you a poll or two. And we promise we won't look over our shoulder while we are doing that. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty. You've been listening to the Pace Line. <laughs> <laughs>